We are going to be uncovering some untold riches. Let's do this. Welcome to another exciting episode of Untold Riches. I'm here with my uh, my partner, Richard Bridges. And I'm here with my esteemed good buddy and colleague, Peyton Polychrose. Hello. Yes, I took the opportunity. It is a beautiful Friday afternoon in sure mid-October, and I'm wearing like lo- like short sleeves and shorts right now, just trying to drink in every last moment of this fleeting summer weather we're getting this weekend. Oh, yeah, no, it's 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 like it's being very temperamental. It's jumping back and forth. But I am uh, I, I like the cold weather. I'll be honest with you. I oh see- yeah, no. Four days of rain and just hoodies. I don't think I got out of my pajamas except for work for like five days. It was fantastic. It was like COVID all over again for like four days. It was magnificent. Oh, I want to introduce somebody real quick to you guys. Hang on one second. Oh, okay. Oh, he's been uh, hanging out in his cage a bunch, and so mm-hmm. I've decided that he's going to hang out with me in my office while I'm doing work and stuff. So if you if you see him in the background, I just want him to be a huge distraction for you. He's super fat. But that's all of him. So you can see him. He's a little corgi. His name is Hobbs, but he wants to get back to his bones. So we're going to All that. right. Get at it. All right. Sorry. So Hobbs, like Hobbs and Shaw? Like Calvin and Hobbs. But yes, oh, Hobbs. Nice. Well, Hobbs, Calvin and Hobbs, because it has an E in it. Hobbs and Shaw doesn't have the E. So he spelled like, that is true. Spelled like Calvin and Hobbs. It is yeah. worth noting that a cold has been flowing around my house for the last seven days. Oh, and I am the last person to get the cold. Everyone else is on the upswing. And I am slowly, with every passing moment, slipping into misery. So I'm on Dayquil, which means my ADHD is going to be weird today. Hopefully, it's going to be a fun podcast. We've got a great guest, uh, Richard. Go ahead and uh, talk a little bit about George Light, our illustrious George Light. Um, I feel I don't want to come across as disingenuous because we've had so many great people on the podcast, and I do mm-hmm. definitely love the folks that we've had come on. But George has like a very special place in my heart. Um, there's something about it, like. You don't meet a lot of people in these lot in, in your life where you kind of go into a room and 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 you meet them and so quickly you become endeared to them. Mm-hmm. And when you see them, like just by being around them, their presence, it's it's there's like this security about it, there's this comfort about it, there's this real raw where it's like so many personal interactions and social interactions are just manufactured and fake. And I've never had that feeling once with George. He is one of the most raw, real, caring. Like when they say somebody has their heart and you can like see it on their sleeve, you can actually see it like figuratively. He, it, it, it just everything that he does. Um, I don't know. I admire him a ton. Right. So yeah. there, there's so many things that I could say. There's so many different ways that I could go. I am was so jazzed when you texted me. We're like, we're gonna have George on the pod. I was like, this is gonna be awesome. I want to listen because the stories this man has to tell and share, it's just you'll see. You guys will see firsthand. So let's let's without further ado, let's yeah. bring in George Light, one of my favorite human beings. He's just outstanding. Love this guy. George, welcome. Welcome. You guys are awesome. I thought my intro was when you held up your dog, you said out of the cage and fat. And I was like, <laughs> that was my introduction. I was going to get, I was like, then that would have been awesome. So um, thank you guys for uh, your kindness. Everything you said about me, I'm going to reflect back to first God and my parents and my family and coach kitchen and Gary McInturf, who I'll all be talking about uh, during our time together. But I really appreciate you guys having me on. Um, today's not about selling anything. Uh, t- today's kind of about 
one of my core life values, which is in order to gain a friend, we must first prove ourselves to be friendly. So I hope through the podcast today, it's communicated that, you know, I'm excited for you to see our talk that comes from me humbly uh, through a lot of mistakes and, and problems that have had to been overcome and gotten around. And with humility that it, it wasn't me that got to do something really good to be on this podcast, which is a nice invitation from Richard and Peyton. So thank you That's guys for having me on. It's a pleasure. It's one of the things I love most about George. When I first came to Pearson Smith, uh, I was a little lamb and I had only worked in like two jobs my whole life. And I had just quit my, my full-time job and I didn't know what to do. And Eric's there and he's like all swag, just like super Eric all the time. And Richard's super fancy and everybody's whatever. And I'm like in my coolest blue checked shirt, and then it's maybe my first week there and George walks in and I was like, I don't know what to expect from this guy. This is a big personality. And the thing that struck me most about you, George, was the the humility. Like you're the most humble, wildly successful person I've ever met in my life. <laughs> like there's this way you have about you where you marry your personal faith in yourself and your faith and other people with like uh, always paying it forward. And I never leave without a nugget like something I immediately steal and use to grow as a human being or as a business owner. Like, but then I'll sit there and I'll text you and I got your cell phone number and you're just like, sure, here, just text me. I'm a super important guy, but you can have, like, it was crazy. It was incredibly empowering for me early on to meet somebody who was so comfortable sharing, being vulnerable and yet being so paternal and knowledgeable. So I'm really excited to have you on today. Thanks so much. You know, I I appreciate it. Um, A lot of, what I've learned is from like my key people that I mentioned to you before. Um, my father was a very much an introvert. Uh, mm-hmm. He he was uh, he went to Yale, so he's obviously very bright. Uh, then he went into the Marines for 13 years, and that's when I was born. Um, when he was coming out of the Marines, I basically went to law school with him in a in a car seat. Um, my mom was a school teacher. God bless you, Richard. Um, and so, you know, basically. One of the things that my dad taught me was in every relationship, whether it's personal, whether it's business, whether it's community, always strive to give more than you take. OK, um, it's really, really hard to do. I mean, there's so many people in my life that that, that I mentioned before, and there's so many, you know, others, some of that there's no way. I mean, if you could pay someone to train your son for basketball, $50 a session, two sessions a day for 10 years, and you donate twenty dollars or $30,000 worth of equipment to their training program, and you get on the floor and actually help coach for those 10,000 hours from what you've learned from, this is all Coach Kitchen. Mm-hmm. And then after about eight mm-hmm. or nine years to this, you give that person one of your kidneys because you're a perfect match for, for them. And then you help them with some bills and things like that because money wasn't important to them. Just giving to others was important. And you pick up the slack for that person. If you can do all of those things, which is my life experience with Coach Kitchen, and you still feel when they go into the ground that you cheated them because you took more from them than they gave you, that that's really powerful. Right. And and that's extremely powerful. And that's my life story with Coach Coach Kitchen. Um, My dad also told me that if you're in relationships and you're sitting back because we always do this, we evaluate ourselves and how we're doing with this person or that person. 
if you ever sit back in your chair and go, hey, I'm kind of getting over on this person, I'm taking more than I'm, mm -hmm. I'm giving, that relationship's doomed to failure. Mm -hmm. um, because that other person, we always view things very selfishly because we look at it from our seat first. And one of the things my dad taught me was sit in all of the other seats of whom you're speaking with or whom you're trying to address. And you've got to look at it from that point of, of view. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I you know, give my dad a lot of credit for the, uh, the home training um, of valuing people and relationships that way. Um, another tenement my dad had was you never, you know, obviously the grass is not greener, but he would say, all you need is a good deal. You don't need to have a great deal. Mm -hmm. you know, a good deal with good people is good enough. Mm -hmm. I've worked in the same group, core group of people for 31 years. Find a mortgage person, find a real estate person that didn't know anything when they got into business mm -hmm. and stuck with the same group for 31 years. And I did that by closing my ears to alternatives, mm -hmm. right? I never took a meeting with someone else offering me something. And, and it's, I wasn't blindly stupid. I would, you know, had the people above me not taking care of me, there would have come a time that my value prop to them would have gotten so out of whack that I would have noticed. Uh, but I was always in that chase of trying to do more for somebody else in the relationship. Mm -hmm. And that makes like the healthiest business relationships. It makes your home life happy because the general population is thinking about how can I do better for myself. Mm -hmm. um, basketball is a big passion of mine. In the AAU parents in this area, it's my kid, my kid, my kid. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm going to go talk to the teachers about my kid. I'm going to go talk to the coaches about my kid. And Richard taught me this. And, and, and we, recently he was teaching me about scarcity versus abundance. Mm -hmm. All right. And I realized with his terminology, it's kind of what I've been living. Um, I didn't know to put it in such succinct words. But here's a great example. If your kid's a soccer player, a tennis player in the choir, whatever they're doing. You're only viewing things from your kid's point of view. Mm -hmm. And we tend to look down at other people. And if, when, if we don't necessarily look down at them, we're definitely not lifting them and giving them a hand up mm -hmm. or in, in, encouraging them. We're always focused on kind of where we are in comparison to them. And speaking in front of groups, I can say of parents, I can say how many people here have done something notable to help somebody else get a scholarship in basketball and very few people can raise their hands because they're too busy only trying to take care of their their kid. Mm -hmm. And when you go down this road and you realize there is not one basketball scholarship out there. Mm -hmm. There are tons of them. So if all 10 of the people in the rooms, kids can be good enough, all 10 of our kids can win. Yeah. And I think you just take that through, uh, you know, your, your life lessons and you apply that to your business um, as far as that goes. And that gets you out of the scarcity mentality, which Richard teaches uh, to not to not have. When there's an abundance, you're willing to do things for everybody. When mm -hmm. there's a scarcity, you're putting your elbows up and you're kind of holding everything to yourself. So I, I choose to, and I have a term for it now, thanks to Richard, is I want to have an abundant lifestyle. And I have for a long, long period of time. 
I want to take a step back uh, for people who don't know you. Um, and so I think on paper, you know, you hand him a business card. Who George is, is he's the uh, owner and managing principal of Home Savings and Trust, uh, a local lender that's been established and, 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 and has thrived through all different kinds of markets here in the D.C. metro market. Um, and you guys are outstanding. You know, it, it, it just, you know, how many companies in that space that have ebbed and flowed and gone into business and out of business through these market cycles, but you guys have been there. That's a, that's a, that's a testament to how you do business and how you do things. And, and, and you can see a lot about somebody personally and how they run their business professionally. And you mentioned you've been with the company a long time and the people that work with you have been with the company a long time and all that's super important. How did you get to be that type of person that's made that happen? So take us back to the beginning. Tell us about, you know, you, you mentioned your dad went to Yale, but tell us about your upbringing, where you grew up, where you were born, you know, your, your, your lessons learned along the way, any noteworthy anecdotes and get us up to where you are today. And I'd like to examine that a bit further. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you. So uh, let's go back to my dad. Let me, let, let me elaborate a little bit more on that. So um, when he grad, when he left Virginia beach in the military, uh, we moved to Washington, D.C. area in probably 1974. Uh, we rented a townhouse in Hallcrest Heights, which is probably worth 800000 now. Uh, <laughs> we were probably renting it for four or $500 a month. My dad didn't want to buy it because he was on a hill and he thought the construction was kind of shoddy and it would just wash down the, you know, <laughs> wash down the hill. So um, basically to understand me is really to understand my father. Um, so he comes up here and he works for a clerk as, as a judge clerk downtown they don't pay any money it's a yeah. low level position but you gain a lot of notoriety and experience from doing mm -hmm. it um, my mom continued to be a, a school teacher and then from doing that for two or three years he worked for a blind judge a guy named judge simpson who mm -hmm. was blind and one of the most amazing people ever because he got around town he was one of the highest respected tax judges in the country um and kept in touch with my dad until um, my dad passed away and uh, still until he passed away recently and my mom passed away, he would still call and check on her on, on an annual basis. So from there, he went to work for a law firm called Hazel Beckhorn and Haynes uh, till Hazel's developed everything in uh, Northern Virginia and his brother, Bill, uh, till's late. He did, passed away last year, but he was the guy, uh, Milt Peterson's partner in developing everything imaginable in this area from my neighborhood that I grew up in, to all the big projects were Hazel Peterson uh, projects. My dad then became a associate. So when you're an associate lawyer, you put in six years or seven years of 2000 hours a month, billable hours, you don't make very much money. And in the seventh year, your prize is you become a partner. Mm -hmm. And then you start to make, you know, regular money or for a, a lawyer and a bigger mm -hmm. guy in, in the community. Well, they announced in September, my dad would be a partner. Um, as of January 1, on December 31st, they fired him after seven oh. years of putting in his 2,000 hours of work. So I would come home from school and let's go to Yale. Let's say he's 21, Marines, 13 years, he's 24, law school, 25, I'm sorry, 35, 36, judge, clerk, three years, 39, associate, 45 to 46 years old. And all of a sudden he doesn't have a job and he doesn't have a business. Oh, and uh, I'm getting ready to three years away from going to college. Uh, my mom and dad uh, both are sitting on the bed crying. 
um, trying to figure out what do we do now to get these boys fed at night, uh, to get them through college. And, you know, so we'll get to that for you in just a second. And then I want to jump back to because of our situation financially, um, probably 14, 13 years old. And I asked my dad for a red Schwinn bike. It has the handlebars up here. It's called oh, the yeah. Stingray. It had the five-speed shift in the middle. And we walk into the bike store, and it probably was like 130 bucks back then, which is like a million um, mm. right <laughs> now. And he put his arm around me, and he said, son, we can't afford this bike. And he took me into the Lawn Boy lawnmower store next door. Mm-hmm. And I think he paid $180. I didn't know this at the time, but I found it out later for a lawn boy lawnmower that had a handle that you could press forward and you could just walk behind oh, yeah. the lawnmower. Oh, yeah. I probably wasn't strong enough to, you know, hack this lawnmower around. And he told me I could go knock on neighbor's doors in Fox Mill Estates and Herndon, huge neighborhood. We had a whole bus fill up our one street of kids and charge $5 a yard. And you put the grass in a bag and you tie the bag up and you leave it clean and you knock on doors. You make sure people are happy with how you did at the end of the time. You collect your money. And then when you save up enough for the bike, you go get your bike. Mm-hmm. And that's the best thing you ever did for me because I saved up enough money to get the bike. And I went, oh, heck no. I killed myself to make that money. I don't <laughs> want that, <laughs> that bike. Um, you realize what a bike actually yeah. Right. right. Yeah. And, and, so I, and so I learned from hard work. Um, my mom took me to my first ACC basketball tournament, huge basketball fan. And again, we don't have any money, any real money. If somebody gave us the tickets, she dresses me up in a blue blazer because that's the way she wants me to represent mm-hmm. her. She went to the University of North Carolina, khaki pants, and that's $40 on her. And all these people used to walk around at ball games. And they hold two fingers up if they needed two tickets. So now this is in the late 70s, okay? And the ACC tournament's at the Capitol Center. And I go and start being George. I start holding up my fingers. And I learn to go stand in the losing team section because the ACC tournament is the first team that's out goes home. Mm-hmm. So these fans pay huge money to these schools. And then they go sit in their seats, and the minute their team loses, they get upset, and they rip up their tickets, and they leave, and they go home. They don't want to be there to watch the tournament. They're there to support their team. Mm -hmm. Well, I figured that part out just by paying attention, and before you know it, I had tickets for all of my family, my friends, $300 in my pocket, in the best seats (laughs) in the the house. I went and stood in the Maryland section when all the Maryland fans lost, and then I went and sit in the Duke section when all the Duke fans lost, and then, you know, and then I just learned so many lessons from not having um, much. Uh, Coach mm-hmm. Kitchen has a great quote, but difficulty comes ease. So we went through a lot of difficulty. My dad didn't have a lot of friends. He wasn't a charismatic guy. He was a very thoughtful, uh, intellectual guy. Mm-hmm. And so because he didn't have really, again, acquaintances, not really true friends like that would hurt themselves for you to benefit you, you know, not mm-hmm. that type of friendships. He, um, you know, I found myself being his sounding board and he would come home. So my dad, when he finally got off on his own, 
he rented a room in a townhouse. He, he got a little tiny townhouse. And one day a guy knocked on his door and said, hey, can I have my mail here? I'm a DC lawyer. My name is John Harrison. I work at a big law firm, but in order to have a license in Virginia, I have to have a physical license. I'll pay you 300 bucks to hang my license in your little office. So my mm -hmm. dad did that with him and he would come by and pick up his mail. After two years of that, they built a law firm. They had 20 lawyers. No um, way. Uh, John Harrison was chairman of the board of a company called Rucker Realty that owned all of Clarendon. It used to be a Sears in Clarendon and all that property. Um, he was chairman of the board of McLean Financial Corporation. He was chairman of the board of McLean Savings and Loan. They were the guys that invented the first arm loan in the whole entire country. Really? The documents were labeled the light loan because my dad drew the documents on on, on these loans. But we do that for about six or seven years. We get our colleges paid for. My younger brother uh, grows up. Uh, instead of getting the bike, he gets the Eddie Bauer edition um, Ford Explorer. So oh, we wow. kind of grew up in two different uh, households. My dad would have me come in and clean the toilets and empty the trash cans. And I wasn't smart enough to realize it was already a crew doing that. But he, <laughs> he had me doing those kind of uh, things. So I think that the, the biggest thing that I want to tell you about this, it's really, really painful even to talk about is I was my dad's best friend. Mm -hmm. And so when his guys turned on him, he was the production guy. He was the guy you brought the business to his mm -hmm. partner. John was, I called uncle John was the rainmaker, mm -hmm. right? He was on these boards. So John comes in one day, uncle John comes in one day, and basically tells my dad they hit a slower market like we're in today. Mm -hmm. It is time for him to go because he brings no value to the company. You know, my, you know, my dad had been with him the whole time. Yeah. And he goes, I need to give you, you know, you need to go because I'm bringing in all this business. And by the way, McLean Financial Corporation went under. McLean Savings and Loan went under in the SNL crisis. Yeah. He got their names in the paper for saying they stole twenty million dollars as the lawyers and as the board of directors. And I'm like, $20 million? We don't have enough money when the TV goes out to get a new TV. We got yeah. one black and white you know, TV. So we go through all these things. And every so then the clients, the main client, Rucker Realty, calls me up and says, we need you to come by and deliver something for us. We need you to take it to Uncle John. It's all very family, and it's mostly his family. I was like, okay. So I go over and I pick up a line. I go into Uncle John's office, and I hand him the letter. And he looks at it, he gets very upset, and he looks at me and goes, you can go now. Not thank you, not what are you doing for lunch, nothing. And I go back down to my dad's office and said, Dave just had me take a letter, Dave's a president of Rucker Realty, had me take a letter to Uncle John. Uncle John got real upset. And he goes, I know why, Dave just called me and told me he just fired Uncle John and they're taking all their business with me. Oh, wow. I'm the one that gets things done. And didn't have the personal personality, the outgoing personality. He's not like observant into what's going on with other people. My dad's super focused on mm -hmm. his next meeting and his next value that he has to bring to somebody. And he wasn't as polished in terms of doing those things. So he goes off on his own. Now he has this one client. When you have one client and you're older and you're putting your kids through school and you don't have money and you don't have money banked, you live in a state of perpetual fear that that client's mm -hmm. going to go away and you're going to be left with nothing. 
my dad became extremely paranoid every night he came home and told me that he felt like he wasn't going to last there because somebody looked at him funny or somebody didn't speak long enough to him, you know, which is very uncomfortable. And I would go to bed every night throwing up in a trash can, probably from the age of 16 to 17 for three or four um, years. And what that taught me was to always think about worst case scenarios, Mm -hmm. always pay attention to relationships. It taught me a ton of things. But most importantly, I'm like almost I'm in tears every night. It's like torture. Mm -hmm. And my dad's like a loving guy. But I I realize now that that was God sharpening me for Mm -hmm. what I am today. Right. Mm -hmm. I went through this torture and in the mornings it was so crazy because my dad would walk down. I would literally not sleep some nights. I would just be up scared, worried about my dad and mom eating and what was going on. And my dad would walk through and he wore suspenders and he wore a tie and he'd be whistling in the morning. And I'm like, what in the world is going on here? You know, we're on the verge of a tsunami disaster as a family financially last night. And he looked at me and he'd smile and he goes, son, the answer's in the dirt. And you got to go to work and turn the dirt. And he goes, whatever happens, got to happen. And I'm like, where was that last night? Yeah. At 10 o'clock yeah. when I wanted to throw up. And so I had to learn from him to move on. But physically, it took us like an awful toll um, on me. Um, but, you know, I, looking back, it was the best blessing. Uh, it was an MBA and hard knocks of life. Yeah. Right. Um, and then it comes to my own family and I'm a monetary success. And I'm looking at my kids and going, Money's bad. You know, Coach Kitchen has a, a slogan that says, with difficulty comes ease. Mm-hmm. And we spend our whole life in that mindset of going through challenging times. And I know that I'm going through a challenging time with my business, my partner passing away in a tough mm-hmm. market. You know, you guys are going through a tough time because in coaching, you know, I view coaching as a 100% necessity. I'm going to do that before I eat. I'm going to learn because that's how I'm going to kill fish and, and live. But a lot of people look at it like it's a luxury. They don't have their priorities in the right, uh, the the right spot. So, going through all of that just hardened me to have an internal that I've got to go to my fundamentals, and I've got to do my work, and I do not look around at what other people are doing or saying, unless they are verifiable that they started where I started and they ended up where I think I want to end. Yeah. Um, too many pretenders out there um, that haven't been through that test. Yeah. Well, like you said, like your dad said, it's the answer's in the dirt, right? Keep your nose to the grindstone is something my dad always used to say when I was younger. It's sort of this, a similar mentality. I grew, I grew up in a small business. Richard knows this. Uh, my, my grandfather owned a business. My dad still runs it with my, my stepmom, my brothers, and uh, just – Go back to work. The answer is at work, and you just got to keep putting that effort in and surround yourself with good people. What ended up happening with your dad and the company? Did you end up thriving through that? And and you know, I know you mentioned Coach Kitchen a lot. What was that like post adolescence? How did your your parents do and stuff like that? Thanks. So uh, you know, my dad was awesome. Um, it, it, his career ended with his one client calling me up one day and saying, "Hey, can you come over and and uh, have a meeting with us?" And I go over there and. My dad had been suffering from Parkinson's for about four years and mm-hmm. still fought to drive to work and every day. And um, they said, George, uh, we're going to have to let your dad go. Mm-hmm. Um, he's billing us for hours. 
we know he's working and he's not a liar. He's sitting in his chair and everything, but he's like falling asleep during the day. Um, he's not able to, to clearly present ideas like he was before. We've been super loyal to him. And, you know, this goes one of two ways. You either go to him and tell him that he's retiring mm-hmm. or we're going to have to let him go. So that was an immediate call to my brother, Tom and my brother, Brig, and said immediately, let's all go to Leesburg. And we went to Leesburg and I'm in a panic mode all the way out to uh, all the way out to his house in River Creek. He was living in uh, one of those first floor uh, bedroom deals because of his Parkinson's at River Creek. So I'm thinking on the way out there and I go, all right, this is going to be a tough one. Um, and I think and I walk in and I go, hey, dad, I need you to give me your uh, mortgage coupon book. Mm-hmm. I need you to give me your credit card bills. I need you to give me your credit card uh, statements. I need to put them all over here in a pile for me. He goes, well, for what? I go, just please do it. So he goes and he gets it. And I was like, Dad, I'm doing so well at work that I'm going to take all these things from you and you're going to have your social security checked and I'm going to be able to send you some cash every month and you're going to get to retire because of my success. Oh, and my he went, you're kidding me. And I went, no, we're good. And he goes, son, I can't do that to those people. They count on me every day to come over there and, mm-hmm. and, and help them. And I said, dad, we got to be selfish. And I said, we got to take care of us right now. You're getting sicker and you need a break, man. You've been doing this forever and you haven't had a, had a break. And he looked at me and my brothers and says, hmm, never thought I'd be in this position. Let's go to South Street down under and get some potato soup and a roast beef sandwich. And that's how uh, my dad went into retirement. Meanwhile, I'm driving back home going, how the heck am I going to handle this other $4,000 a month in, uh, in in bills on top of taking care of my kids and my responsibilities to everybody else? Um, we went through uh, to take it a little bit further after that for a few years. My dad needed to move into my house because he needed 24 hour a day nursing. And I didn't want to put him in a nursing home. Um, didn't have any money. So uh, they basically would qualify for the Medicaid, Medicare care. Mm-hmm. Um, and he fell and did something to his hip and he went into one of those rehab facilities. And the first night he called us at 10 o'clock and said, I've been hitting the buzzer and no one's coming to help me go to the bathroom. And it's mm-hmm. been an hour. And I was like, that's it. We can't do that. We brought a lady named Joy into our life. And uh, she's from the Philippines. She was with my family as a nurse for 16 years, taking care of my father. The day my father died, I kept her going for days a week to have companionship with my mom because we'd become a family with her. Uh, She'd been sleeping in our house for a few years, 24 hours a day care for my dad. And so I kept her for a couple days for my mom. And literally within six months, my mom got diagnosed with Parkinson's. And uh, I needed her um, there was a night when my mom, I went down and slept in the bed with her cause she was having a rough night and she, she had a urinary tract infection and there was nobody there, but me. And I had to pick her up out of bed. I had to carry her 20 steps, drag her to the bathroom and lift her up on the toilet. And I had to see things that no son should ever see of their, of their mom. I had to clean her. I had to change her. And this happened every hour because she had a urinary tract infection and yeah. she had to go back. And I sat on my hands and knees, and instead of saying, why me, I got taught at that moment to say, man, thank you for allowing me to be able to do this, God. Thank you for all of the good times that we had. 
I got to pay back this this terrible thing I'm going through right now. I've got to pay this back to her and just help me do that and mm-hmm. help me do it in a positive attitude. Uh, happened once with my dad of having as far as having a chain. He was standing up, holding on, and he'd gone number two. And I had to take his pants down and I'm sitting there cleaning them. He goes, son, this is so humiliating. And I said, dad, I'm in Nags Head at the beach boogie boarding with you right now like we did growing up. I said, where are you? And he goes, oh, now I'm boogie boarding with you. And I said, great, let's just get over this, not talk about it and, yeah. and move on. So just some really intense pain and emotion. You obviously can't make up these stories that I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. They were so ingrained in my brain that they made me who I am today. So again, my mom and dad um, for doing all the things they did for me and for allowing me to every day not go home and say, hey, this is a pain in the butt having my parents live here. Mm-hmm. This is taking a lot of money and a lot of time, but viewing it as, man, I'm so grateful that I get to love on people that changed me and uh, fed me and took care of me and pay back. And just having that mindset, that abundance mindset, not mm-hmm. with me, looking at what can be positive from this. And through that, I've taught my children, you know, how to love in death, like like mm-hmm. how to go go through those things. I've got to do a better job now that I'm going through a heavy morning with the loss of my partner of 31 years. I've got to, I, I realized from one of my psychiatrists, uh, Dr. Benjamin Franklin, I want to shout out Dr. Ben. Uh, <laughs> it's very funny that a light goes to a Franklin for uh, uh, mental health. <laughs> Um, I suffered a stroke when I was 27 years old and had two kids. Um, I fought too hard and blew an artery open in the back of, of my uh, head and it bled into my brain in the hospital for a while, like an old man for six months and super blessed that Kumadin fixed it. Uh, a young lady in Chapel Hill did the same thing by putting her head in a sink and you lay back in the sink and you feel that mm-hmm. pinch in your neck. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the number one causes of that artery uh, tearing. And she did that the same day, and she was a vegetable for the rest of uh, uh, her life. She, she, it, she never got anything back. It was gone. Oh, my God. Uh, and so I was able to, you know, go through that. And just a ton of really tough, uh, you know, earth-shattering um, uh, events. But I was so well prepared for my dad mm-hmm. and watching his struggle that I thrived in that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so the mental health part came about not feeling well um, and getting Selexa, 25 milligrams of Selexa from my general practitioner. Mm-hmm. Uh, make that into a joke in terms of those of us that are depressed, our minds go super fast. Mm-hmm. So for those of you that aren't depressed, think of depressed guys like slouched over on the couch and as a couch potato and just lethargic. No, 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 no. Our minds are going so fast. Mm-hmm. We're going double speed. So I always kind of joke when I'm talking in front of a group that I do depression medicine so I can slow down because you're not as smart as I am. And so I have to slow down to your level so I can communicate, you know, with you. And so in talking about that publicly, hopefully somebody on this listening to this podcast will go, my signs of depression were I couldn't focus. I couldn't get through a list of tasks. Um, I was just kind of paralyzed. But my mind was racing. Mm-hmm. I had a calculator in every bathroom in the house, and I would get up in the middle of the night and do my profit and loss and then <laughs> go back to sleep because I realized that if I had so many loans as a company, that we were going to be okay for this month. 
And then I'd wake up an hour later and go, that calculator was probably broken. I'm going to go use the one I put in the guest bathroom and do that one again, get to the same point and just kind of repeat. And I was like, I need some help. Um, so going through that and then eventually after all these life events of the kidney of my dad passing away and being responsible for them, uh, had a partner, best friend blow up at the end of the first week of home savings and trust sued me for $30 million, spent $400,000 defending myself. He won $12,000 out of the lawsuit because I couldn't find some receipts in the judgment room at the, at the time, but I lost my friend. Yeah. Right. And, and, and so these are like dramatic things and then things that made me cry, but there's things that I never grieve. So in going to therapy and sharing all these stories over six months, the therapist said, Hey, when did you ever have to take time to grieve one of those events? Yeah. And the answer was zero. So I took four months off from work and I called my partner up and he goes, this is awesome. And I go, why? And he goes, because I've been checked out for a while and no one comes to me anymore. They only go to you. So if you get out of the way, the workflow will start coming back to me and I can be important and be involved uh, as well. So it, it's just amazing how, to me, it's just God manipulating situations yeah. uh, to now the one thing I'll tell everybody. So I'm late into the conversation and bringing up God because I didn't want you to turn the podcast off because a lot of times <laughs> someone hears that and they go, no, 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 no. You have to. Do the work yourself. Mm -hmm. No one's going to do the work for you. But this is why you got to be humble. George Light did not decide to get born in the United States of America in McLean and Northern Virginia for his whole life, which is one of the most affluent areas in the country. George Light did not make interest rates super low for the last two years. All right. I am a product of being blessed to be put in the right environment and then working my butt off by having a plan and writing down and studying a plan over and over and over again. I'm still learning to this day. I learned something you guys may already know, but I learned last week that when someone's doing an open house, a lot of realtors go on Spacio and mm -hmm. they use that to gather their information. I was talking to somebody else and they said, don't do that. And I said, what do we do? And they go, put a piece of paper on the door that says, due to security reasons, mm -hmm. I'm not going to open this door to you unless you text me your number and your name. And then I'll be down in two seconds to open the door for you. And now you've gathered all the information. Oh, wow. Three people I told that to, that's what the first three words they said were. The same exact word, genius. Yeah. I'm 31 years in this business. I learned it four days ago from somebody that's been working with me for six months who learned it from an agent that's only been doing it for a year and a half. Well, that's so, the thing that strikes me about so much of the story you've told so far is it's it's sickly. Well, first of all, there's no wonder your last name's Light because, again, repeatedly throughout your life, whether it's through your youth, your adolescence, your college, your adulthood, the way you handled your father's retirement, like you mentioned early on, your goal being to bring more to your relationships than you could possibly take. And I, I feel like, and I'm not Dr. Dr. Ben, but it's like in, in analyzing what you mentioned about your dad and your observations about him, the fact that at night he was stressed and couldn't sleep, but the next day he began a new day. Like each man, each woman is a different person than who they're surrounded by, but that's a lesson you take. You know, it's like, like you said, the answer's in the dirt. But also to speak to you is, 
a good deal with good people is better than a great deal. And the idea that, yeah, you went through these hard times. I have my own experience with my grandfather, not necessarily comparable, but similar enough where there were moments where you're, we're back at watching the Lion King when I was 10 years old at the Kennedy Center because I can't be here right now, but I need to be present with him. And so I can understand. But again, a good deal, those nights you spent with your mom, your dad, the stories you got to share, the experiences with, with Miss Joy in your home and bringing her in. Like, again, you're a good person and you had a good deal, not necessarily the best possible deal. And that to me, Again, as a newer agent, as a growing business, <clears throat> which is how I originally met you, I didn't know any of this stuff, but it did put you in a position where you can be very aware of your gifts. The fact that you earn the right to capitalize on those, but to speak to your faith, it's like ask and you shall receive, knock and doors shall be opened unto you. But you have to knock. You have to ask. It's not always going to just happen, no matter what door or window is in front. And I think that's really inspirational to me. Uh, it speaks a lot to, to me that you're willing to share this because like Richard always coaches, it's like you can give all the knowledge in the world, but if you don't establish yourself as a person that can be approached and be shared with uh, by being vulnerable, then how is a person gonna take that as anything but gospel? And honestly, you need the human element to testify to really receive a message like the one that you continually give all the people that you lead to greater prosperity as a part of your business. And it's, it's really inspirational to me. You know, it's, it wouldn't, it doesn't surprise me you're a man of faith because I, I could see you at a pulpit or I could see you on a basketball court coaching. Either way, you have that very magnanimous magnetic personality that you kind of give away to people. And hearing about your your personal, physical, and mental health struggles speaks to me as well, because as Richard will attest, it's not something I often discuss, but I fully, trust me, deeply understand how quickly your mind can be going, and the only thing you're thinking is, slow down. No one else knows what's going on with you right now. You need to slow down and share one thought at a time and, and, and create more of a dynamic, and you're a master at that. So yeah. yet another inspiration to me as like, well, it can be done. You can grow into a, a kindly man, paternal man who can share his thoughts and feelings with people in a cogent way that really can inspire them. So thank you for that. Yeah. I, 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 two, two of the things that you really touched on that really stood out to me um, and, and things that I really try to keep in focus and remember, you know, you said a good deal, you know, it can beat a great deal mm -hmm. because when is enough enough? Right. I had like somebody challenged me that that thinking is we live in the society where it's just we're continuing to chase the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And before long, you look back on your life and you've never had any time to enjoy the what you had in that moment, you know. And so, for, you know, to hear you say, like, if you can't be satisfied with what you have right now in this moment, you'll never be satisfied with the next thing either. Right. Can you find joy? in your circumstances in that moment is such a powerful thing. Um, and something that I, I sometimes lose, lose sight of. And that's so, that's so powerful, George. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that you said that. Cause that really resonated with me, uh, a, a, a bunch. And so before we come back to you, cause I got a couple more questions. Let's take a quick ad break. If we can, mm -hmm. uh, we're doing this a little bit different, but we want to throw in an ad promise. It'll be short. Uh, but guys coming up for bridges, business solutions, we're having two big events. 
that I really want our listeners to know about. If you happen to be in the real estate space, if you're interested in, um, you know, maybe, maybe you have a, a, you know, you're trying to grow your business or get to the next level. We got two big events coming up. The first is on November 15th at the Chantilly National Golf and Country Club. Um, we'll put details with this podcast, uh, Spotify, YouTube, all the different places that we post this, and you'll be able to access the registration. The first event on the 15th, we're calling it the Team Talk Workshop. If you are thinking about starting a real estate team, if you have a real estate team that you're looking to grow and scale, or if you are an established team looking to be better and more efficient in the way that you run your operations and taking advantage of the support and the staff that you have on your team, you're not going to want to miss this event. Melissa Oliver, um, she's going to be joining us. She's going to be facilitating the event. And to give you an idea, she has helped run multiple two to $300 million a year teams. And she was the director of operations for those teams. So she has a very, very um, in-depth understanding of what it takes to run the day-to-day operations of an organization like that. And she's gonna come and reveal those tips and tricks to you guys, you won't wanna miss it. So that'll be the first one. And then the second one, December 9th and 10th, at the Trajectory Event Center in Herndon, Virginia. We're gonna be having our planning day and this is gonna be a huge event. It's always our biggest event of the year. And I'm super excited because we have a rock star lineup of presenters that are gonna be presenting for those two days. We have tons of stuff that we're gonna be going over and we have a new proprietary exclusive system that we're gonna be announcing and giving to the people who participated in that event that day again, Friday, December 9th, Saturday, December 10th. It's a two-day retreat. Uh, We're super excited, and we hope that you guys can join us for either or both of those events. That's all I've got for you. That's our ad. Back to the pod. I actually also have a shameless plug for Milestone Virtual Services. Milestone Virtual Services is a VA company that uses decentralized VA services or helps you onboard personal executive assistance to support your uh, business, whether it's real estate, lending, or any entrepreneurial pursuit. We have administrators who are capable of managing marketing and social media, client lists, and SOI or sphere of influence touches, as well as setting calendar reminders and clearing inboxes. So if you're all ever interested in discussing how a virtual assistant for as little as four to $5 an hour, uh, often college educated and highly motivated can help to grow your business, reach out sometime soon and we'll talk. Thanks a lot. Right. Now back to what you guys are here for. So um, where I'd like to go, unless you have a a point, I'll let Ellie jump in. But where I'd like to go next is I want to learn more about Coach Kitchen. As I have heard so many quotes and anecdotes and different things, but I don't really know about him. Right. I know this. He's like larger than life. He exists. He's this he's this entity that has influenced you and your family and the people that you love so much. And I've never even met him, right? And I know, I know he's passed, but tell us about him and, and all that. Uh, that's where I'd really love to hear hear more about. No problem. So I'm actually having dinner with Mrs. Kitchen and his daughter Patricia for Mrs. Kitchen's birthday tonight. We'll be oh, over awesome. at Eddie Merlo's. If anybody wants to stop by, I'll buy him a drink. Um, we're celebrating celebrating Mrs. Kitchen tonight. Um, so Coach Kitchen cut me from a basketball team in 1981. Um, he told me I was not good enough and I need to go have some kids and come back. Um, he was extremely kind to me and he was truthful to me. Um, when he told me that his two point guards that played my position, one was a guy named Mike Jackson that started at Georgetown as a freshman with Patrick Ewing and won a national championship. His other guy that was in my position is a guy named Tommy Amaker, who's the head coach at Harvard and started at Duke for all four (laughs) years and was defensive player of the year. 
And guess what? Coach told me the, the truth. I wasn't good enough. He said, go have some kids and come back. So the thing about me is I'm a pretty quick study. So when my son was born, Travis, being somewhat of a, you know, growing up in an era where you just think of your sons playing sports and we didn't think about our daughter so much that we've learned to do a lot better, you know, now. Um, I had written uh, some brainwashed Travis to say he was going to go play basketball at the University of North Carolina. Mm -hmm. And he wrote a little paper in second grade and it said, my name is Travis Light. They wanted to know where he was going to be in 20 years. He said, I will have graduated from instead of University of North Carolina, he wrote North Carolina University. I still have the letter. I can post it to my Facebook page. And he said, I will study math and I will play in the NBA. The <laughs> end. That was the Period. end of his paper. He got an A on his little paper and I taped it to the wall and I'm driving home from work. And I told all of my friends, my son's going to play basketball at North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Every piece of gear we have in our house was Carolina. My basement is Carolina blue. Everything is North Carolina. Um, that's our goal. Does that come from your mom? You mentioned she was in My North mom Carolina. went to the University of North Carolina, yeah. and I had some uh, a great uncle. Just to tell you how something small can change your life is my great uncle, who I didn't know very well, took me to a – in Rapid, Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, took me to a fire station basketball game with ACC players barnstorming during the, during the summertime after they graduated their senior years. And you got to see guys like Phil Ford – it was a big deal. You guys see people when they pull the ball out and they hold the ball. The reason there's a shot clock was because of this guy, Phil Ford and Dean Smith at, at North Carolina. Mm-hmm. They called it the Ford Corners and they would stall the whole game and then beat you by two, two to nothing or something. No kidding. So he took me to a game and I was sitting on the front row, which, and Phil was playing because he was a graduated senior, like two bucks to get in the game. And I yelled, Hey, Phil, shoot a 360. So he ran on the court jumped up at the foul line, he spun around in the air, he shot the shot, hated it, he turned around and pointed at me. So oh, after, so the game, after the game, I got to go up and pat him, and I said, hey, can I have your wristbands? And he said, no, but you can go buy a pair of wristbands, and I'll give you mine that I wore. So I took them, and I wiped his sweat all over me, and I put them <laughs> in a clear plastic bag. They were in my grandmother's refrigerator until she died. It like molded into the wall of her <laughs> got my blood burning for basketball because one of my relatives did something really cool for me and I got to see these guys up person and then I was a basketball loner as a kid but nobody ever taught me what to, to do mm-hmm. go forward to me driving down the road Travis about four or five and I go George you run your mouth about how good your kid's going to be at basketball and you haven't done any work you're insane mm-hmm. so I call coach kitchen up and I can't find him so I go to the Herndon South Lakes basketball game like a couple months later. And who's sitting there on the front row is Coach Kitchen. And I take a little toothless Travis over to him. And I go, Coach, this is my son. He's going to be special. He's going to be great at basketball. And he goes, yeah, yeah, right. And he goes, call me when he's in fourth grade. Coach had been training Grant Hill and Dennis Scott and Jamal Mashburn, Thaddeus Young. He had $1.9 billion in NBA contracts one year um, uh, to, to his name. And he had retired from doing that because he got sick of what the spoiled, entitled attitude these guys get when they start getting all that money. They don't want to hear Coach Kitchenisms anymore. They don't want to be told how to behave, which is what he did for us. Mm-hmm. So anyhow, 
I know we're, we're limited on time, and I apologize. I just have so much and stuff no, no, I want to no, no, sure. get out. But so I start having coach. I, I find out he's doing a a session over at Washington Lee High School, and it's five hundred dollars for four weekends, Saturday and Sunday, an hour and a half each day. So I get the money out of the bank and I walk in with Travis holding his hand. He's a little guy. And uh, I was, he goes, George, he's too little. He's going to slow down practice. I said, take the 500 bucks. He doesn't do what you say he's going to do. If he slows you down, we're out. And you keep the money. So literally, if you go on Travis Light Basketball YouTube, parts one, two, and three, and you watch the entire part one, which is 15 minutes, somebody filled portrait of a champion when Travis was five years old his first day in the gym with Coach Kitchen all the way through the next year showing his development. It's amazing, okay, of, of what uh, he and Coach did together. But Travis just was enamored by this charismatic figure. He carried such a big personality that the first time he came to my house to train Travis, Jordan runs in and goes, Daddy, Daddy, Shaquille O'Neal's here. <laughs> 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 it's the house. We, we joke about that all the time. Coach and I joke about that all the time. That's hilarious. Coach brings me, he does this session, and the next day he comes over to the house. He knows now that I'm a huge Carolina fan. He knows that I named my daughter Jordan after Michael Jordan. <laughs> and he shows up at my house with this beautifully framed picture. It was Michael Jordan's letter, goodbye letter, that was in the Washington Post. And it's framed, and it's mad, and it's gorgeous. And he goes, I felt such a bond. Now, Coach Kitchen, we had a saying, we can tolerate a rascal, but we cannot tolerate a scoundrel. And I'm going to get to that point in just a second. So I'm like, oh, my God, this guy loves my son so much. He went out and had this thing framed. I mean, it's professional. It costs $350. It's amazing. And I go, I just love this guy. And I'm, I'm in. And so we start doing these trainings, and then we took it to the Xerox training facility because I was like, Coach, a lot of people can use this help. You can do a business doing this. I'll, uh, we found a space. I'll help you with the younger kids because I'm learning while Travis is learning. You'll coach Travis and everybody else. Before you know it, we have 200 kids a month coming through um, our, our, our training sessions, literally within six to eight, eight months. I call it Coach Kitchen Crack because when I start <laughs> dropping this stuff on you, you can't stop listening to Coach Kitchen Crack. It's like a dick. So I'm going to skip ahead to a point. The most important story between me and Coach Kitchen is I dropped Travis off the first three days at the Xerox training facility. Mm -hmm. I leave my $100 check on the table three days in a row. And the fourth day, he goes, excuse me, where are you going? And I said, well, I'm going out of bed again to have some drinks with my boys. I left you your check. I'll be back for the last 15 minutes and make sure I'm on time so you're not waiting for me to pick him up. He said, George, my man, you need to sit down. These are your children. Don't you ever leave this seat again. At that point, I never left that seat again. Mm -hmm. I was extremely popular. My phone rang all the time. Let's go out for drinks. Let's go golfing. Let's go to dinner. Let's go to Atlantic City. And after three months of doing this, sitting there every day, I go to Coach Kitchen and I said, Coach, I got a problem. He goes, what? And I said, I have no friends. No one calls me anymore. Mm -hmm. And he goes, you never did have any friends. He goes, you had acquaintances. Mm-hmm. You were working on what they wanted to do. Everybody was all in. When you started putting your love and your focus 100% on your children, nobody has an interest in doing that but you. Mm -hmm. And I then taught my kids at that age, you don't have any friends. We have them draw a circle of life. Coach Kitchen had Travis draw a circle of life. But who's in your inner circle? 
It was George, me, Coach Kitchen, Mom, my friend Christian, and Mr. Troy, who was Troy Vincent from the NFL, who was Travis's speed and agility coach at that time. And Coach Kitchen looked at that and said, Travis, if your parents die tomorrow in a car accident, what's the first thing you do? He's six years old. He goes, I don't know. He goes, you run and you find your sister Jordan and you go back to back. And then you figure out life from there because you're the only two that you have together in this world that are going to take care of each other. That was such a powerful lesson. And then he goes, this guy, Christian, we're going to draw a line outside the circle and we're going to call him an acquaintance because 10, 15 years from now, you're probably not even going to know where that guy is. Mm -hmm. Christian Cameron's a really sweet kid, got a great family. He went to the Bahamas with us as a family. We kept in touch through seventh and eighth grade. Haven't seen him. So, so, you you know, it's just proven to be so, uh, you know, so true. So that's where the the value of Coach Kitchen was getting me to stop and be a father to my kids and Mm -hmm. putting them before work. I still had my cell phone on, still got right back to people, but I left at 3.30 and I was with my kids till 9 o'clock every day, Saturdays and Sundays. And if you came to stay at my house, guess what? We didn't alter our schedule and say, okay, we're not working out because Johnny's sleeping over. Mm-hmm. Johnny got a paid for class at five on five basketball with Coach Kitchen, or Johnny <laughs> got to sit in the chair, but we were taking care of what we were working on. And mm-hmm. I learned all these things from Coach Kitchen. It's, 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 it's it literally like I was getting a little emotional just listening yeah. to you talk about because I got, I've got four kids and like there's definitely times when I stop and I think back decisions that I would have done differently. The fact that that man said to you, you're in that seat. And I don't know, like some people may know this, but maybe not a lot do. That didn't just stop when he was six, he went to college. How many of his games did you go to? 164 out of 166 games when he was playing at Florida State in Tallahassee, Florida. So I would get to the airport at 4.15 in the morning and leave my house, get on a 5.15 boarding on Delta, fly to Atlanta, catch a 10 o'clock plane to Tallahassee, be there at 11.15, work on the phones, make sure everyone knew that I was on top of all my stuff, get to the gym at 6 o'clock. The reason you get to the gym at six o'clock is the doors don't open till 6.30. And I wanna watch the whole experience. I wanna watch the cheerleaders come in. I wanna watch the families that pay money to go watch big time basketball. I wanna soak in the environment. I wanna watch the TV guys get off their, out of their chauffeured cars that are coming in to call the uh, game. And then most importantly, I wanna be in my seat an hour before the game because my son's probably not gonna play in the game. And my time watching him is him warming up for an hour. Mm-hmm. And I want to go at the end of the game and give him a hug and go, keep grinding, keep working. I'm proud of you. We're rolling, man. We're close. We're close. And we were close. We were so close. We got all the way through five years and we got so close. But we never are going to sit there and go, we didn't give it everything we got. I'll tell you one story about how proud I am of my son. He wins an ACC championship. I've got this ring bigger than Dallas. It's got diamonds all around it, right? And he brings it home when he graduates and he goes, Dad, I've got this case with his name on it. You open it up, a light shot on the ring. It's bananas. It's like a Super Bowl ring. Right. And he flips it over to me and goes, what do you think? And I look at it. It's got his number on the side. It's got his name. It's got all this stuff on there. And he goes, try it on. And I try it on. And the ring, man, this thing fits perfect. And I flip it back to him and I said, thanks for letting me try that on. He goes, no, Dad, it doesn't fit me. I got it sized for you. Oh, my gosh. 
Oh my gosh. For a, for a young I, got no, I, got, I got nothing, but Coach Kitchen did that for me. And the funny part of that story was I'm showing people and they, and they go, man, that's amazing. And they tear up and they go, but you'll get, he's going to get it back. And I go, what do you mean he's going to get it back? <laughs> go, you know, when you go before him. So, yeah. it, 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 anyhow, that moment, how do I pay Coach Kitchen back for raising a child? He raised me as a parent. He raised my child. He raised my daughter. Mm-hmm. Right. And then I'm going to one last thing. I'm 26, 27 years old. I'm in commercial real estate. I play video games all day and I play golf all day. <laughs> and I'm dating this girl named Sandra Fleetwood who rented the basement of a townhouse. Sandra comes in and we start dating. She's four and a half years older than I am. She comes in one day and she goes, honey, I want to tell you something. And she goes, it's going to sound bad, but it's true. I think you're going to be a loser because you don't have a role model. You're sitting on the couch playing video games. I'm working in the mortgage business as a loan processor. And I need you to do something about that because I don't have enough time at my age to start over again. If I have to wait three years to see what you're going to be. And I'm like, wow. And I go, what do you want me to do? And she goes, I know a guy. I want you to learn to work like him. I want you to learn to be a friend like him. I want you to be an inspiring person like him. I want you to become financially successful like him. And I want you to model him. And I said, like, oh, that sounds great. <laughs> Who's that? And she flips me a card. And on the other name of the card is says Gary McInturf. And Gary McIntyre is my partner that just passed away uh, September 1st. I was with him for 31 years. Seven years I worked for him. 24 years I was his partner. Gary taught me that the staff is here. The loan officers were here. And management's down here at the bottom. Mm-hmm. That's how I treat people. That's how I've been trained to treat people. Thanks to Gary. Gary came into my office one day and said, hey, I'm going to have back surgery. I'm thinking about closing down the company and I can't handle the stress and I'll pick up this franchise when I get back. Mm-hmm. Unless you, George, who has 11 loan officers in front of him, would be willing to, to run things for me while I'm gone. I ran everything for him while he was gone. He was gone four months, came back and gave me an envelope and I flipped the envelope back at him and I said, we never discussed money. I'm your friend. I did my job. I got my loans. I took care of my family and I took care of your stuff. I'm not taking your envelope. I said, I'm going to punch you in the face if you don't open up that envelope and take what's inside of it. It was Mm $12,424. What a weird number. Yeah. And I went in and asked him and I go, I can't take this. And he goes, yes, you can. I pulled a credit report on him and it's the total of your credit card debt. Four months later, he comes to the office and goes, man, it was such a good experience having you take care of that. And that really wasn't the amount of money that I should have paid you, but it's what I could afford at the time. How about we become partners? Mm. Wow. So I just hit all my nutshells. I've got about 56 more stories to tell you guys, but I'm just grateful that you let me share yeah. how many people. And it all goes back to Jesus putting those guys in my life. I do have one shameless plug. Can I do my plug real quick? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm thinking we'll probably have a part two eventually. So yeah. 
not a period. It's a dot. dot, dot. So my, my plug, my shameless plug is Ryan Capel has a son born with half a heart. He has twins, uh, Caleb and Jonah, and they're born down at National Hospital. And five minutes after the surgery, Ryan um, has to go next door with Caleb because with Caleb's open heart, he's going to go through six months of crazy open heart surgeries and everything. And for some reason, Ryan puts me on one of the four important people that can come up to visit him. And I was able to learn, and Ryan shared with us, I came up with something great. I would send him a text and I would say, do you guys want P.F. Chang's, Maggiano's, for me to get out of your face today? What do you want? <laughs> and he goes, getting that, said, how can I help you? Great, because we could pick one, two, or three, yeah. and you didn't mind whatever the answer was. But the first night I went up there, we go down to the uh, – cafeteria and we're sitting there i'm a crier man i cry at the drop of a of a, of a hat and ryan's sitting there and i'm a warrior and ryan's sitting there stone-faced and i go getting him a bagel i said just getting something to eat i said ryan what do i do i don't even know what to say he said there's three things buddy you can tell me you love me you've done that you can show up you've done that and the third thing you haven't done yet and i go what's that just tell me this sucks and i go ryan this blows this sucks and he goes, that's all you can do. Yeah. And I go, how are you so calm? I said, I shut Travis's fingers in the car door when he was three. And I fell on the ground and screamed and cried and wasn't even man enough to go open the door. My wife had to go free my son from the door because I cut I thought I cut off all his fingers. And you're in this 30% of kids make it through this procedure and, and live. And you're not shedding a tear. Your hand's not shaking. He goes, George, my job is to lead my kids to Jesus Christ. And babies go to heaven for free. <laughs> and so I went from a believer for all my life, but never a church guy, and I'm still not a church guy, to I want that power that you have to look death in the eye and laugh. Mm -hmm. And that's what Ryan gave to me. And there's a whole nother story as to how Ryan and Eric and I intertwine. And we'll do that for part two. Yeah, no, we are. Over. But thank Not you guys so much for having me on. And it's a real blessing for me to be able to go through these thoughts because I'm coaching myself. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be able to give myself a better pep talk from what I'm going through with Gary. Because I'm great at helping other people. I'm lousy at helping myself. And today's almost like a therapy session for uh, me. So I, I want to say thank you to everybody. What a joy for us both, for sure. We actually, we had Ryan on the show and we, he shared a bit of his story. I think Richard and I both cried for like a half an hour straight. Uh, and let me tell you, I'm not really all that surprised you were one of his four people. No. <laughs> so, but uh, we will include, we'll link, we'll include the link and stuff to that absolutely. charity so people can contribute. And, and I know that that's a, that's a, they're doing meaningful work, man. And, and, and George, I can't thank you enough. I, I think whoever listens to this takes the time to listen to this whole thing. Uh, they're going to, they're, they're, they're going to be a better person because of it. So thank you. Thank you for that. That was a real blessing, real treat. Thank so, you guys. All Appreciate right. Buddy. Take care. Oh, George Light. He's so wonderful. <laughs> Golly. Wow. It's like How if a human so being was a hug. I love him so much. If a human being was a hug. That's it. That's George Light right <laughs> there, man. So good. So, uh, oh, yeah, I think, I, I think I talked him up a little bit at the beginning and he just blew right through expectations. Yeah, absolutely. And just to, to listen to him talk about his relationship with his father and how his relationship with coach kitchen brought him back to that. Like you, you heard him talk about how his father grinded and grinded 
and how his mom was clearly a silent partner through that relationship, helping her family grow in her own way. And like, and then how he followed that path. But then as his kids reached maturity emotionally, they were like five, six, seven years old. And he was starting to follow that same path. Coach Kishin like checked him and got him fully. And get, oh my God, it was so good. And he ends up being his son's best friend. Just like he said, his dad, he was for his dad. Like, I think that's amazing. Like what an amazing journey to go on. Sets like, a high bar, that's for sure. That's oh for my sure. gosh. Uh, I love how many people that we have on this podcast inspire me. It's it's why I love to show up for it every day. Uh, but anyway, uh, it's been fun, Richard. Absolutely, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. This will be dropped in uh, hopefully the next couple weeks. And uh, we'll be back with uh, with another special guest in a, in a week or so. Uh, actually, do we know who's next? Uh, yeah, I think Dan McNeil is joining us next Friday. So we'll get him on here. I'm excited to hear from him too. I know he's in Greece, so I think he just got back. But we'll be having a part two with George in the not so distant future. So guys, thanks for tuning in. That's Untold Riches.